welcome to this episode of the BA Brew. I'm Mike. I'm James. And I'm Debbie. And today we're talking about the subject of culture, which I believe is the uh, subject of your latest book, James, Happy to Work Here, which I think Debbie will be modelling in the, the corner there. Yes, I can model the book and I have read it. And I found some of the insights on culture really, really interesting because, I mean, culture is such a big subject, but it is so important in an organisation. Don't you think, James? Well, I do. Um, I found a correlation uh, between culture and performance. And it's, it's not exact, it's not uh, causal, I don't think. But um, just the, the better performing organisations always seem to have a much better culture, which is, um, means people are enjoying themselves, but also doing much better work and doing more of it, in, in a sense. Yeah, and, and you know, that's interesting because the title of your book, actually, which I, and I've only just thought of this, but if you are happy to work somewhere, you sort of give it a bit more, don't you? Oh, yeah, you, you, you get into it and you don't mind putting in the extra hour or the extra effort or you know thinking gosh that's some, I've done something it's not good enough uh, I'll do it again I'll make it better and all this is, is cultural stuff but if you if you're working for a dispirited organization um, you know you don't do that sort of thing and your performance falls off and the organization's performance falls off it's um I, I just think it's one of those things that we haven't paid nearly enough attention to over the years yeah you know, we, we run around talking about our techniques and diagrams and certificates and all that sort of stuff, but it's um, it's people that do the work and uh, uh, the way we interact with one another is, is culture. Well, you would have seen this in your organisation, I think. Yeah, yes, we do. And, and, and Mike, you've actually worked across quite a few different types of organisation, haven't you? Yes, yeah. And I would say, actually, um, if you do feel happy where you work, if you do enjoy what you're, you're doing, then actually it doesn't really feel like work. Um, and so you do put more into it. And what I was wondering, though, um, from what you were saying is, does that mean that there are specific cultures that are more uh, specific organisation cultures that, you, that you've seen are more uh, effective? Or is it about matching up the individual's culture with the organisation culture? Because I think there's an element of that as well, that if you go into an organisation that doesn't match your culture, um, you're going to clash, you're going to struggle. Uh, yes, uh, we were looking at culture more in the sense of uh, things that are good for the organisation and good for the team, good for the individual. Mm. Um, there are other cultural things, such as you're indicating, Mike, where... Uh, you know, some people have a culture of um, incredibly long hours. Mm. Okay, well, it, I, I look, well, personally, I think that's a that's poor culture, but then that can be the culture of a place. We're not mm. sort of talking about that kind of culture so right. much as just um, people being happy in their work, but people being effective in their work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. It's, we, it's interesting, uh, James, because I was talking to somebody recently who used to work within, let's say, the big finance area. <laughs> I'm just mm -hmm. going to be completely vague about that. Um, and how, and, and in fact, I was reading an article recently on the culture of presenteeism. So mm -hmm. if you're seen to be at your desk, you get a tick. Whether you're actually doing anything effective is then questionable. Do you, have you come across that at all? 
No, I haven't, but it, it's it's kind of a false management thing, isn't it? Mm. Or management trying to look at one uh, aspect of people's work instead of thinking in a in a much broader church about what um, uh, how people should be responding and how they should be acting. Yeah. Besides, it's also part of measurement. Once you start to, I mean, just ticking people at their desk is measuring. And once you start to measure, you, you, you're finished. You know, you, you're going to get exactly the wrong behaviour because people will sit at their desk as opposed to get together in a group and talk about something. Yeah, it feels to me that it's kind of a lazy measure, just sort of saying, oh, they're here all of these hours. Then actually that's an easy measure to do, but it doesn't, it doesn't really measure productivity. It's just, well, as you say, it's, it's presence and, and that presence may actually be negative because they're not talking to people, they're not actually finding stuff out and, uh, and helping the business in some way. Well, yeah, I, I, I think you can, you can get resentment, can't you, in that culture then? But also you get um, measure or performing to the measurement. Mm. Yes. Um, which is everybody will spend 24 hours at their desk in order to get uh, get more brownie points like that. I think the problem is that um, we measure the easy stuff and don't measure the hard stuff. Yeah. Because we should be measuring outcomes. It's, it's really the only thing we have to measure is what is the outcome of this? Is it, is it overall beneficial? Is it overall detrimental? Yeah, uh, and how we got to that outcome is um, matters far less, I think, than than the outcome itself. Yeah, but outcomes are hard to measure, so we just don't do it. And that's exactly it, isn't it? It's that sort of intangibility that makes it more difficult sometimes. And so we just measure the things that are more tangible because it's easier, as as you're saying. Well, I think time is one of the easiest things of all to measure. You know, you set a deadline, and you know, in our area of business analysis, software development, it's really easy to set a deadline. Uh, but it's not a good measurement at all yeah. because it depends on your... Or one of the things we, we identified in, in the culture book was the, the organization's um, a perception of the value of time. And in that case, you're using time more or less as a weapon to say you've got to finish it by this date, uh, which is not really respecting time at all. Uh, if the organization respects time, then it makes for much better culture because people know that time will be used wisely and not simply. I mean, you've, you must have come across a uh, time where um, maybe in your younger days, uh, Debbie and Mike, you were asked how long it will take to complete a project. And uh, you said six months and your boss said you've got four. Yeah, so that's an abuse of time. You know, it's not respecting time at all. Uh, mm -hmm. And it makes sort of. Well, as you experience, if you if you went through that, it makes for pretty bad uh, bad culture. Yeah, and actually, I went. In fact, I think it was slightly worse. I can think of one example where I was asked to estimate um, a systems analysis um, area piece of activity, and I did. And I was told, okay, you need to cut that by fifty percent. Mm -hmm. And my response was, well, you can cut it by 50% and you'll have 50% of the work, you know, but, you know, where do you want to go with that? But actually, you're absolutely right, because that was completely the culture, not just actually of that organisation, that was actually the culture of the industry I was working in at that time, which was sort of software development systems integration. And within that industry, Everybody was fighting for their position as different companies, as different sales leads, et cetera, et cetera. 
And the way they did it was by cutting cost. And the easiest way was by cutting time. So you're absolutely right. Ultimately, though, that's a zero sum game, don't you think? Well, oh, yeah. You've sorry, Mike. I was, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say you've got you've got a problem there because you're sacrificing quality and you're sacrificing your your employee happiness there as well. You might get the, the time and costing down, but you're not necessarily delivering anything else that's, that has any value. And if you upset your employees, then when when the situation changes and they see an opportunity, then they'll go. Yes. And, and that that's the interesting thing about culture. And that's one of the things I really love about the title of your book, you see, James, because happy to work here sort of sums up a lot of my beliefs around culture, um, because, you know, you have to ask yourself, where does a culture in an organization, where does it drive from? And I suppose my beliefs are that it drives from the worldview, if you will, of those leading the organization and i i firmly think that you can go to organizations you can you can feel a culture and, and i'm sure we've all been to organizations where there's been almost a toxic culture in some organizations where there's a lot of blame and and, and everybody's looking over their shoulder you have to say to yourself where does that originate what's driving that sense and and i believe it's the worldview of the leadership Yes, although it can sort of grow from the bottom uh, and change for the better can go upwards as well as downwards, but it really requires both uh, both top and bottom to be um, working towards uh, improving, uh, improving the culture. But yes, I mean, you've probably also seen organisations where a new boss, you know, this can be at a team level or organisation level or whatever, but a new boss comes in and instantly the culture changes because mm -hmm. that guy, and it normally is a guy, is just acting um, very badly uh, and squandering all the goodwill of the uh, of the workforce, and it's um, uh, it's it's not a good thing. No, and and as you said, Mike, inevitably, then people walk if they can, don't they? Mm. Yeah, if if they. When they get to the point of feeling empowered, if they if they've been disempowered as well, which can happen in certain toxic cultures where people end up not feeling that they they have any value um, outside of the organisation or even within, um, then they they can't. Well, you, you're in the downward spiral, then, aren't you? Productivity drops, uh, motivation do drops, um, mental health is is at risk there as well. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting what you um, also mentioned earlier, though, James, because <laughs> you keep tapping into my beliefs here. My worldview is coming through strongly, mm -hmm. but I really believe in the team. And, you know, the guys that assist will tell you, you know, there's there's a bit of a mantra with me that it's about the team working together, supporting each other, et cetera, et cetera. And so there is that team aspect to culture that that really is so important so even if you've got certain beliefs that are holding sway as you say a new boss comes in and and that could be a big positive of course as well oh yeah um it's that team coming together and it's all the manifestations of the culture then that i think also help that productivity well one, one of the effects we were writing about in the book was the idea of collective confidence right and you will have seen this uh a team come together and they they they're good they work together they like one another they get on well and they um it means that their collective 
or the, the culture, this confident culture means that they're willing to take on bigger, more important things and, and more importantly, not run away from challenges, but, yes. but sort of head into them, you know, confident that we can actually do it. And, um, and let's face it, most of the time when we set our mind to do something, we'll actually get it done. But uh, yeah, uh, but it's, it's so dispiriting when you're in an organisation that uh, they tell them that that's too hard. We can't attempt that. We've never done that. Uh, and it's um, it, that's really poor culture. It's yeah, interesting because that that very thing um, was something I noticed when when I worked with an, a, a couple of agile teams in my previous organisation that we there was very much sort of an individualistic sort of working, although some some team working, but actually working together as a, a high performing team, it did build everybody's confidence. And actually, that that was quite a um, quite a change in in the way that the, the team seemed to work culturally. Um, it's quite effective yes and and I suppose then the other side is when you get people I don't know not exactly undermining each other but maybe protecting their position or something mm -hmm. like that and and then can you ever get to a high performing team is the question I've now got in my mind if you haven't got that sort of collective confident culture that pulls the team together well if you've got internal confidence competition no you can't because if people are competing with one another i mean you even your people uh sitting at their desk for the number of hours required they're really competing with one another to mm. be at the desk more than the the next guy uh no you, you that's poor culture because you're going to lose that uh, that cooperation between people uh whereas you know some of the best organizations i've seen uh the the, the sense of uh, looking after one another is so palpable it's um uh it, it's really quite amazing but it also in confidence one of the things i've loved about one uh, place i worked is i was talking to a team and, and they were talking about testing and one guy said i'm really rubbish at testing he said and they everyone else in the team looked at him and they said yeah you really are rubbish kind of thing and so um, this girl turned to me and said, no, we, we never let him test anything. You know, he's, he's a disaster at it. So, but this was part of their confidence that they knew this guy was rubbish at testing and they just worked around it. And it, uh, it worked fine. Everybody was uh, perfectly happy with it, including the guy that didn't have to do any testing. That's, that's that's a, that's sorry, Mike. Yeah, I was just going to say, it reminds me of uh, quite a few employ employments back. Um, there was this this uh, idea about um well i've seen it in a number of organizations you do your annual appraisal and you talk about your strengths and weaknesses and then put effort in trying to resolve those weaknesses and one of the things i've said for many a year is well my weaknesses are my weaknesses i need to find somebody who's got strengths in that to help address my weaknesses i can't i can't resolve my weaknesses myself now um i'm not going to change that much um and it, that 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 kind of demonstrates that, doesn't it? But yeah, it's recognised this person is no good at testing. We'll not allow them to do the testing. We'll cover that. Uh, but there's other things that they've probably got strengths in that um, he they'll be able to help other people with. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mike, you, you mentioned the annual appraisal. Um, this is something I've often wondered whether companies really ought to do annual appraisals as opposed to having <laughs> a, an ongoing conversation between managers and, and their team. Uh, because an annual appraisal is getting awfully, awfully close to um, to measuring. Yeah. 
And it's really funny because I don't really believe in annual appraisal, as good, Mike will good. tell you. <laughs> so you're tapping it. No wonder I enjoyed your book so much, James. We're, we're so on the same wavelength here. You know? um, but it, it, it is interesting because I'm, a, I'm also a great fan of Belbin's work on teams, as mm -hmm. you know, people who, who know that I, I think about Belbin's um, roles a lot. And what that does is it, it allows you to say, this is where I'm stronger. That doesn't mean I'm terrible at these things, but this is where I'm stronger and this, these are the roles I can play. And when you understand that in a team, you really can build that team confidence and that cultural confidence to work together. And all of these things, you know, we, we talk in business analysis about so many models and frameworks and techniques, but actually they do fit together if you look at things holistically. And, and I find that a very, very useful way of looking at things. But um, one of the things, sorry, I, I had to laugh when you were talking about the, the software tester and, and Mike was saying about people with weaknesses. Um, somebody who I used to be very friendly with a few years ago told me one day that he'd been made a manager. And I said, oh, please tell me you're not managing people. And he said, no, 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 they wouldn't be that daft. They'd give me a filing cabinet to manage. <laughs> and, and that was great because he was absolutely confident in his, in his knowledge and expertise and ability, but managing people was not one of his things. I thought that was just a great statement of, of confidence in ability as well as recognising, yeah, that's the area I'm not so good at. Unfortunately, organizations all over the world have got managers who are rubbish at managing <laughs> that have been put there because they were really good at some whatever technology they were using. And the number of hours they've been at the desk as well. You've it's been around long enough. <laughs> so, well, we have the answer for that now. Basically, <laughs> just give them a filing cabinet to look after and let other people look after people. Well, just increase the salary to the manager level and let them get on with what they're doing, doing well. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is Belbin's specialist role. You see, I, I, I'm going to stop talking about Belbin now because otherwise I'm going to get very boring, but I do recommend him to people. <laughs> Debbie, it was too long ago that I read Belbin, but he wrote about uh, having a catharsis meeting. Is that right? When things are really bad, you get your group together and everyone can sound off unreservedly for an hour or something like that and then everyone eventually starts to talk about how to improve things oh that is it, it's interesting isn't it gosh i'm going to go into model mode now but i was also talking to one of our colleagues about de bono six hats only two days ago and we were talking about red hat thinking and saying how cathartic exactly what you've described can be hmm. and sometimes in a culture isn't it great if you can get together as a team and just moan, whether you're moaning about the world, whether you're moaning about what happened yesterday or what might happen tomorrow, whether you're moaning about the process is not working. It's just it is cathartic. And and sometimes in cultures, it's sort of not allowed. But actually, if you get these things out, people feel that great sense of relief. And I think that's a really productive thing to do. Yes, I think this is one of the, the uh, things we've lost in uh, everyone working from home. Uh, we don't have the communal kitchen where you can get together and, and yeah. start moaning about things um, uh, and do something about it or find ways of doing it because it's um, moaning over Zoom is not quite the same thing. It's... <laughs> 
no we we need to come up with a new thing the zoom moan or something or the, the zoom moan session or something but there's also oh sorry mike i was going to say i think that could be the subject for a whole other podcast um how do how do we vent in in zoom or teams um we're, we're kind of i think we're we're at risk of doing a, a feature length version of this this podcast if, uh, if we follow that route now um so I'd like to draw it to a close now. Sorry, Jane. Sorry, Debbie. We, we could talk for ages, but um, we, we have an audience out there we need to think of. We don't want them just sitting at their desk listening to this for hours just to measure how long they're sitting there listening to it. Well, it might help them do sit there a little bit longer. <laughs> could do, yeah. If, they, if they're listening to it and doing work, then it might actually keep them happy, mightn't it? So I'd like to draw this session to a close. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Uh, thanks to Debbie and to James for uh, joining us today. Um, if anybody else has any ideas about future episodes of, of our podcast, then please drop us an email at babrew at assistkd.com. Thanks a lot and bye for now. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.